The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 136 of Super Skull, your weekly new Comic Day audio digest for the week of April 12th, 2017. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm I'm joined physically and spiritually by Marcus Schumer. Namaste. How are you today? Please don't say namaste. I knew he was going to say that. And Curtis Sullivan. Hello and, and greetings to you. I am very pleased to be with you both once again. It's a Beautiful day in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Just a, oh my, it's just a banger. It's a pretty neighborly day. You think it's a neighborly day? In the beauty wood. How do you, what, I, what is it that you're referencing? That's Mr. Rogers. Okay. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but it's also a neighborly day in the beauty wood. Okay. He flips it, and, and I, it's both those things today, so I'm agreeing with you. And also bringing up Mr. Rogers, always a good thing to do. Wonderful human being. God rest him. People say that, is but he was dead? he? He was. Is Mr. Rogers dead? He has passed on. I just feel like I feel like no. he was up to something. <laughs> don't go there, man. In a, I just don't know. Sure. It's like you can't. I mean, like all the time. He was like that all the time. Something was going on there. In a church that I toured on the Isle of Nantucket, there is a shrine to Mr. Rogers inside of it. What kind of shrine? There's like a mosaic plaque of him in the Nude. church. Oh, in the church. In the church. Okay, that's inappropriate. Yeah. So uh, Google. Oh, he's got a little fig leaf in front of his. Google. Mr. Rogers Church, and uh, I'm sure it will pop up. It w- took me by surprise. There should be more of those. Great man. What was his deal? He's like really into puppets. I'm not really versed in Mr. Rogers. You he's, didn't watch Mr. Rogers as a kid? Not really, no. Well, he does like puppets, but he's like a real advocate for like children and like, you know, being smart and living a, a good, awesome life and becoming a great person and mm-hmm. potential. And I guess hey, that sounds just a, pretty cool. He's just a really neat dude. Was he, um, did he, did he tell kids about how important it is to be careful on the stairs? He probably did. He probably he's a big safety buff. Yeah, yeah. In general, so uh, every week, and we talk about this, and I can't imagine that we're going to continue to talk about it because I think Curtis has has worked the ultimate expression of this of this goof <laughs> into the podcast. This is probably the last time we'll ever talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, as mentioned, have a little race on the stairs. We do every single week. It's the, called the Great Dildo Race. <laughs> Because what happens is, and again, I'm sorry if you've heard this before, and I'm sorry you have to hear us say dildo all the time, but Curtis starts giggling. With He cannot control himself. He starts giggling like a child. I can't. And I get he a starts, feeling in my stomach. He starts it's running weird. away, and he goes, that's what I'm saying, it's a dildo. <laughs> and we're in a public library. Uh-huh. So it's loud. And he runs as fast as he can up or down the stairs, and you can just hear him off. He's <laughs> 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 just giggling off into the distance. It's a fun. It's such a great feeling. Yeah, and it, it happens every single week. And last week, as we were leaving the podcast, Curtis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what happened? Well, it was just, just give a, me the short version. It was first. just a normal, everyday last one to the bottom of the stairs is a stupid dick race, and um, I just got a little ahead of myself. Got uh-huh. a little excited. Uh huh. And uh, face planted off, uh, you know, a full flight of stairs into my face and chest and neck. Uh, what and, uh, and shoulder? Any injuries to speak of? Just one minor industry, minor in <laughs> injury. <laughs> Just a tiny little little, little um, anterior shoulder dislocation. Just completely dislocated your shoulder. I did. <laughs> Fell get, down the stairs. It gets better. No, it's, it's so much better. Uh, okay. Well, I had my laptop in my hand. How's the laptop? Laptop's okay, right? Laptop's totally fine. No, it's cracked in half. Destroyed. <laughs> utterly fucking destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it took a fleet of like 10 dudes to like pop my arm back into place at the uh, hospital. Because it wasn't like a normal shoulder dislocation. Mm-mm. You dislocated it in such a special way. Yeah, out, out the back way. That it took a fleet of humans to put it back in. Two humans to hold me one way, to strap me in with these big wrapped up blankets that they like tied around their own waist mm-hmm. and then braced themselves against the, the gurney. And then four other dudes to pull my arm. Six. Six dudes. Six dudes. Yeah. And since <laughs> it was such a rare <laughs> dislocation, they called every resident in the hospital into the room. Yeah. 
because you are um, you're an oddity. You're a exactly. medical oddity. Let's look. Let's check out this, what this freak did. They put you in the auditorium. So like a dozen people in this little room. Because usually a shoulder pops out. Like you can kind of imagine how a shoulder might pop out, um, and it goes like to the front of you. Almost always. Like towards the towards your chest. That's exactly. what exactly. But for some reason, whatever the fuck you did on know. those stairs, it popped the opposite way mm -hmm. away from your chest yeah. into the back of you yes interior dislocation that's because when curtis flew down the stairs he landed literally faced for face first now you old now marcus yes you were racing him at this point this was literally rachel and i were getting we we're just walking out of the studio and we were at the top of the stairs mm -hmm, and saw mm -hmm, you guys mm -hmm. so i think marcus you gotta you gotta own a little bit of this well so no. i i had put my arms out like a bird to try to block Curtis from going down the stairs. Yeah, he pushed past me, got a couple steps ahead. I I was out of touching distance because <laughs> there have been some accusations that I pushed Curtis down the stairs. And I would like to point out that I I, did, I in no way touched Curtis when he fell, but I did witness. I was the closest. To the scene of the crime. And Curtis, you're like, I'm going to get the inside track. Oh, here. fuck yep. yeah. Yep. No, and Marcus had nothing to do with it. I was like, I was shoving him right, get the fuck out of my way. I'm going to win this thing. You think I'm going to be the stupid but butthole? His, no. His head went first. Yeah. And then the rest of his body followed. And there was a little bit of a slide maneuver on the carpet. I wish I could have seen it. When yeah. I came around the corner, because I just, so you can hear it, obviously, in the entire building. And... <laughs> You, I just saw Curtis crumpled in a position that I've never seen him in before at the bottom of these stairs. You're talking about face down, ass up? And it, his face down, ass You've up. You've never seen me like that? And his pants are down a little bit. And his shirt is like uh, over almost his head. off. Like for some, your shirt was almost over your head for some reason. <laughs> and we were like, "No, what is the? How did this? Why?" I was pretty sure that he had broke multiple bones with how hard he fell. I mean, you were like fully in shock. I must Afterwards. have been fully in shock because I stood right up. I just I stood, did I launch right up. In my your mind, eyes, I was like, your I eyes were dead, right and you were very, very quiet. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and you were quiet all the way back to the shop. We're like, dog, what's up? How are you doing? You felt really hard. Okay, like, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. fine. I'm fine. I'm cool. fine. And then as you're leaving the shop, you're like, yeah, I might not be fine. I'm in a little bit of pain. <laughs> <laughs> Can we see your bruise? How's oh your yeah, bruise? sure. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's not bad. Oh, that's not bad. I thought yeah. it went all the way up. There's some yellow up in here. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not bad. And that's all from the dudes pulling on my arm. Right. The so, six dudes. Six dudes. So I guess we want to close this out by just saying, like, what did you learn? Like, I'd like to say I learned my lesson. I would like to say that, but I haven't. Visit to the emergency room or two later. I just don't care. <laughs> it, I'm serious. Yeah. It just made me, uh, racing up and down the stairs gives me a feeling that I haven't had in so long. It's like riding your bike through shortcuts through people's backyards. It's yeah. like shooting your BB gun at frogs in the junkyard. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it so much. Going to the thing. Look, if I would have done something that actually broke a bone, if I would have had a fracture and I had a cast for six months, right. it would be a totally different curse. Just a just an interior dislocation. That's it. That's it. it it's Small the worst, price to it's pay. the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Uh -huh. It's like my arm was dipped in hot lava for mm -hmm. about six or eight hours total oh, yeah. before it was over yeah. and just couldn't think of anything else. You've ever been in pain where nothing matters? You can't, there's nothing, you can't read, you can't look, you can't hear. Yeah. Because it's, that's all there is. That said, as soon as he popped it back into place, I was like, oh, that's not too bad. Fuck it. You guys want to race up the stairs? Yeah, you deal those? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I still haven't learned my lesson is the point. We all, all of us learned lessons. We didn't learn the right lessons, but lessons were definitely learned. I'm glad you're okay. Um, Marcus and I, we really wanted to give you a dildo. Uh, we wanted to present it to you yeah. on the podcast, but we couldn't find one in the city of Ann Arbor. It's really weird. Tilda's a hard thing to come by in yeah. this town. Well, it, I didn't know this until you guys presented me with this new information. I'm shocked. Yeah. We had this whole thing like, oh, like you're the permanent dildo. You're the last one up the stairs forever. Yeah. Here's your dildo. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't pull it together. Marcus tried to make one yep. at home. It, it what, did you like it. carve it? Yeah, I have some like home insulation foam, and I tried to take a soldering iron and, and cut a dick out of it. Mm. But the soldering iron got very hot, and then it started to like drip onto my garage floor. So I have a kind of looking dick thing at my house, but it, it didn't work out. You hold on to it for me. Yeah, 
outstanding. Let's do the numbers. Times are tough. Sales of comics and graphic novels fell for the fifth consecutive month, according to reports by industry analysts at ICV2 released this week. Graphic novels saw a 15% decline compared to the same month in 2016, while single issues saw an increase of 6%. The rise in single issue sales was probably due to a couple of high dollar releases over the month of March, including Amazing Spider-Man number 25 and Dark Knight 3 Master Race. Uh, priced at $9.99 and $5.99 respectively. Both titles moved over 100,000 copies apiece in initial orders. Marvel held the top splot in market share. Splot? Top splot. Top splot. Marvel held the top splot in market share for March with 35.41% running 6 points ahead of DC and 25 points ahead of third place Image. Image landing at 11%. Overall, the industry saw a 1.68% drop for the month, closing out the quarter at 3% down compared to 2016. What do y'all think? Oh, there's all kinds of neat stuff in here. That um, Amazing Spider-Man 25, uh, I was reading an article. That, that comic made $1 million. $9.99 times 100000 That adds up. Yeah, that's pretty wild, though. You don't often get a million-dollar single-issue comic. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll rarely see that for a graphic novel. Um, and Image, uh, despite the lowered numbers, that's their largest market share that they've had in the last multiple years, maybe ever, at almost 11%. So no, that's interesting. Uh, really? I thought they were they crapped up a little little higher than that yeah, at one they, point. They, but so we're hovering around 10 11%. It's very solid for them. Exactly. So that's some uh, neat stuff. But yeah, we uh, feel it and see it in the comic shop. Graphic novels taking a much bigger hit uh, than you would think. Especially um, with Saga. Well, there's that, and you just, you know, the trends were kind of leaning for many, many years that maybe graphic novels would replace single issues, maybe altogether, mm -hmm. or that single issues, issues would become this kind of niche special release thing, and, you know, it just hasn't gone that way. Um, so that's an interesting fact I, I learned from these numbers. It's just as, as one of the dudes who unloads the boxes for new comics every week at our shop, the graphic novel uh, rack is always so empty for the last couple months. Yeah, last three, four months, really. It's been amazing. I mean, that Since rack... the holidays. Yeah, exactly. Since the holidays. Um, and I, that has a lot to do with it. Like, if you're not putting out graphic novels that people are interested in, but the fact that Saga wasn't able to give this a little bit more of a bump is very surprising to me. Well, now, I don't know that we have... Oh, we do have our Saga numbers. That did land at number one for March. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, and it was a big deal in, in all the shops. I'm tracking numbers versus um, previous volumes and everything, and it's it's holding up pretty good. Saga um, Volume so 7. Correct, with yeah. Volume 6 as to Volume 5. Right. Um, Saga, the, the mega-hit comic book series, if you're not familiar. Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples, huge, huge book. Anytime they put out a new volume, that is it's a big deal for the whole industry because it's, it's going to be the best-selling graphic novel of the month. It's a pretty big deal every time. But you would just think with all of the Rebirth number one, there's still a lot of Rebirth trade paperbacks coming out. You would think that we would see a bump from that. Well, so, so here's a scary thought. Yeah. Uh, the We're talking about numbers that are collected solely from the direct market trade. Um, and these books are getting bought out in the world, and they're getting bought at bookstores, and they're getting bought digitally. Yep. Uh, there is no doubt about it. So this ties into the conversations we've been having for the last couple of weeks, but bookstores have these graphic novels and those that's those sales might be slipping away from the direct market a little bit yeah i uh, i wonder in the the difference between say i was looking at some of these numbers the the top 10 graphic novels 22,000 copies of saga number 7 were sold to put it at number 1 uh the number 2 graphic novel uh, came in at about 7,000 um your average big money graphic novel in the top 20 5,000 copies not a ton of books, I guess Not is what I'm saying. Not a ton of books. Yep. And uh, those books are getting sold somewhere. Mm -hmm. There is. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was that much again or more getting sold at the uh, at the book at the book market. So, hey there man, it is. numbers. Brace yourself, y'all. It's going to be a cold winter this summer. Winter is coming. In other news, Artie and Saif, uh, the artist for X Men Gold number one. Uh, Marcus Schwimmer's big pick for the week of April 5th, that was last week, see last week's episode of Super Skull, placed hidden messages in that book that referenced slogans from an anti-Christian and anti-Jewish protest movements in Indonesia. So specifically, Saif included the numbers 212, uh, which is a shout out to demonstrations that were held on December 2nd. So 212. Of last year, 2016. Yep. Yep. 
calling for the jailing of a Christian governor of Jakarta, labeling him a blasphemer. This was a big part of the movement. Uh, and these are very, very broad strokes. Everybody, please forgive me. I'm, this is like the the idiot's guide to to what this movement is about and to what this uh, what this happening with uh, Saif is about. Um, but basically, the movement is it's a hardline conservative, not very tolerant. Uh, has a as a very intolerant base. It's largely anti-Semitic and anti-Christian. And they also reference, and Saif referenced a specific verse in the Quran that is anti-anything that's not Muslim, more or less. Does that make sense? You guys very with me so far? So. so what's not nuanced is Saif hid the word Jew adjacent to an image of Kitty Pride, who is a Jewish character. In this big splash page, she's walking down the street, and right next to her head off in the distance is a jeweler, except her head is cutting off part of the word, and it's exactly next to her head. Kitty Pride, a Jewish character. Extremely unfortunate. So, once again, G. Willow Wilson, the voice of reasons in comics, has uh, posted about this on her blog, and she's more eloquent on this than we could ever hope to be. We're going to link to it in the show notes. Um, Saif put up a post yesterday or a couple days ago basically saying my career is over I own up to all of this and Marvel fired him as soon as today as of today's recording so yeah he has been let go his contract with Marvel has been terminated I do remember when reading that book because there's a scene where um, Colossus has a shirt on it says like QS 515 I think Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just like it's very prominent in Mm -hmm. the panel I was like, is this like a an X-Men reference that I should be getting that I'm not getting? And I'm happy that someone knew what it was so that they could point out the the meaning behind it. But it, he, he didn't hide it very, you know, he was trying to make a statement. Yeah, and we also, I mean, this is this is shitty. Like, the, the way that he went about this, I don't know who he thought he was going to fool with any of this stuff, but... You know, he could, he also is, there's support for a movement. It's very complicated and it's very nuanced. There's nothing nuanced about putting the word Jew next to somebody's head. There's no Not excuse all. for that at right. all. But I don't know enough about this, like, protest movement to paint anything with a broad brush. Possibly they are very shitty. Possibly it's much more complicated than that. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, people did pick up on it and he has totally been fired. And Marvel's just having, like, the worst couple weeks yeah, that a comic company can have more this or is, less. This is not a good week two news drop. You know, no. uh, last week's news from Marvel was equally shitty. Um, but I, I agree with uh, Nick. Check out that um, G Willow Wilson blog post because uh, she brings a lot of awesome nuance and information to the table about this. She totally at the end of her her um, breakdown does condemn his actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, um, but does shed some light on kind of the nuance of this thing, and it is extremely complicated, and, and there's a lot of it, yep. uh, you know, to it. Um, but it, unfortunate that it's in an X Men comic, right? Which is a book about kind of the model tolerance of, at its base. You know, so it's, it's, that's a, that's super a bummer. So, yeah, you know, this thing, whole thing's a bummer. But yeah. yeah, I just think it's so weird that Marcus's picks always have some sort of racist code in them. It's only happened this once. Which is not good now that I say it out of my mouth. <laughs> Thank Just you very the much. one time. God damn it. Thank you, buddy. I really appreciate it. I, how, how's it? I mean. Look, in your uh, defense, I have I had no frame of reference no. for any of it. Yeah. So, I, you know, it completely over my head. This book also is like spiking in internet sales and yeah. pricing. Like it's going for 50 bucks a piece on Amazon. Uh, it's just completely crazy. Yep. And we get two more issues with this dude's art. They're already, in they're already the can, done. And yeah. They're done. So oh. through issue three, we. What other know. codes did he put in there? Oh, I'm sure they're. I bet ed- they've checked. Editorials going through it with a fine tooth comb. I was reading a little bit about. This is a very common thing for artists to hide stuff in art. This happens all of the time. Yeah, but normally it's like something fun, like a dick or right. You know, Ethan Van Syver hid the word sex or tried to hide the word sex on like every single page of this Inhumans book. I like <laughs> saw all of it. Like he's got Medusa's hair, and it's like vaguely spelling out the word sex and like that. It's right. Right, which is hilarious, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just wondering how much you're, there's, you're missing so much stuff. You can't go through all of it with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah, there it is. A, I, fine, I'm a so... fine-tooth racist comb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, hide sex in every page. I'm okay with that. You're cool with that one? You know?
Let's do some big pits. Word up. Um, every week, we have to reject uh, any number of books that Marcus wants to pick because they have anti-Semitic and like very racist references in them. Um, and the ones that actually make it through and make the cut and that make it on air, those are our big picks. Marcus, what did you eventually choose this week? Um, well, my first choice, and uh, a great choice, if I say, uh, is Rose by Meredith Finch and Iguero. Um, It is a fantasy story put out by Image Comics, and I have to start off by saying that uh, I have some beef with the writer of this book, mostly because her and her husband um, worked on a run of Wonder Woman that was after the Brian Azzarello run, Mm -hmm. which is probably my favorite run of of Wonder Woman ever, Um, and it was uh, overly sexy and not very good. Mm-hmm. So, so you got beef going in. I got, I had a little beef going in, but and Meredith Finch has done some Zenoscope stuff. She's done a lot of work for this comic creation company called Zenoscope. Mark or Curtis, what is Zenoscope? Oh, they do all kinds of fun stuff. They do sexy Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. and they do sexy My Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. and they do sexy what's another fairy tale? Peter Pan, mm-hmm. and sexy Robin Hood, and so imagine Robin Hood, but if she was like a very voluptuous. Lady in lingerie, yeah, prancing around the forest in you know, sexy three little pigs was my favorite one. It's a great, great book. I really am waiting for their sexy Ronald McDonald characters book because mm. I'm looking forward <laughs> to sexy Mary McCheese and sexy Grimace. Sexy Grimace, Grim- you don't have to change a you know thing I mean? about Grimace. He's, he's a mm, full he's, figure gentleman, yeah. mm. and he's working it. So I, I went because of her history, kind of publishing these these types of books. I went into it uh, cautious, but. Um, Man, I had a really, really good time with it. It's a great setup issue for what seems to be a, a big fantasy story that we're going to explore. Um, and essentially what's happening is there is a ruler of this kind of medieval fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. And they are hunting down people who have the ability to use magic. So if you if you are able to use magic, you may wear amulets or necklaces that will cloak your ability because you will be hunted down. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a rebellion group who is fighting against this anti-magic movement. Um, and our main character, she ends up with this group. And, uh, you know, it, not a lot of big spikes up and down for what's happening, but it's just a what really... What do you mean big spikes up and down? Um, not a lot of huge plot development in this first issue. Um, you know, we kind of get the basic setup and we get to know these characters a little bit. But I thought it was elegant uh, in, in how it set it up. It didn't, it didn't rush. The pacing was nice. And the art by Iguara is some of the best I've seen in a while. It's very, very well done. I really like the art. I really like the landscape stuff. I like the the, the big views of castles. Uh, the the villainess the villain is very very stupid. Yeah, she's she, literally like wearing a negligee that is like oh, like parted. Yes. and is just like I don't know if she's wearing boob tape or what, but it doesn't. She, she she's barely be covered, and tape. it makes absolutely no sense. And I don't understand the point of it at all. She is the bummer of this book, but um, I really like all her sex slaves though. Yeah. So that part's fun, and she has a cool tribal tattoo around her thigh, so that's a nice touch. That's cool, too. If they would have put her in better clothing, I would have had almost no beef. Um, Like the main, a lot of the female, (laughs) well, just a lot of the female characters. No, sorry. No, no. What? No beef, and anyway, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Um, You know, most of the characters are drawn in this book. Uh, They're they're stylized, but they're they're not overly sexualized. Yeah. Uh, But there's one villain is, she is, gave you beef. For some reason, she gave me gave me beef. But like not good beef, bad but beef. But not good beef. Um, so yes, I highly recommend Rose. If you are reading, if you're, you know, if you're a, a fan of fantasy, if you are reading. Like maybe Green Valley, which is pretty different, but that's my only other fantasy book I'm reading right now, which I do like quite a bit. Little Boy Lost in the Woods comes back, Big Bad Hero. Oh, Birthright? Birthright? Thank you. Uh, yeah, if you're reading Birthright, if you're reading Green Valley, uh, I think this would be a nice one to add to the repertoire. If anything, the art is just some grade A fantasy art. So that is Rose by Meredith Finch and Iguera. Did you read this one? I did. What did you think? Uh, I, I I thought it was a little by the numbers. 
Yeah, I have a hard time remembering anything from this. So film, I like except that, the art. Art the art's very, very nice. I agree with you there. I didn't overly hate it. I thought that the villain lady was a little goofy. Mm-hmm. You know, the first scene we cut to her, she's like a crazy lady. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm totally nuts and I'm naked and here's my sex slaves. <laughs> you know, like, okay. You know, like, but other than that, that's the thing. And that's what's so weird about this book. The whole rest of the book struck me as kind of dialed down for like the Meredith Finch that I'm familiar with. Right. But then we, boom, turn a page and then, oh, okay, here, cool. Oh, right, that right. is Meredith Finch. Yeah. Okay. It's nowhere as xenoscopy as her normal stuff. Totally. No. Like, it is pretty approachable. Yeah. And uh, I'll come back for a second issue. I'll check it out. I'm I'm uh, always looking for like a good kind of just, you know, what, for lack of a better word, this like straight fantasy, you know, swords yeah. and sorcery thing. You know, I can mess with that. I'm always looking for a good boring book. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? It's just so tough because everything's so interesting right now and there's so much interting stuff coming out. So it's nice to just be like, oh, <laughs> oh God, here we go. Just, <laughs> I can just turn just, off, you know? Completely you know? turn my brain off and just, just drink this smoothie. <laughs> Yeah, I think if you you know if you look into it and look into the fantasy genre as a whole a little bit more, you'll you'll find that there's some stuff there instead of just yeah kind of you know washing it all. And I, what's I, the I main character's name? Quick, Marcus. What's the name of the main character in that book? Rose. Fuck. Nope. Do you know how long that took you? <laughs> Curtis literally had to tap the title of the book. Yeah. Let's move on. Mark Curtis, what was your pick this week? My big pick was a superhero comic from Marvel Studios. It's called Black Panther and the Crew, number one. And uh, this is by Tanahase Coates, who has been writing the Black Panther series for Marvel for shit like a year now. It's been a minute. It's been a grip. It's and been a year. He's doing World of Wakanda. He is. And now he's doing Black Panther. He's just like a comic book writer now. Yeah. So this is uh, Tanahase Coates coming into his own as a comic book writer. And uh, I think he's really, he's such a talented dude. You can tell he's really. A, a student of the medium and is picking up lessons. You can see the impression. So Black Panther is cool for the world building stuff, for the big ideas that are in it. Yes. But you can tell my dude had not written comic books before. And now, three comic books later, he's it's it's starting to come together. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty cool. You can see he's learning, learning uh, what he's doing. And uh, I had a blast with this book. Uh, the art is by a guy named Butch Geis, who's been around forever. I was, I've seen this dude on a million, million books, but I can never remember a book that he's done. I started looking at the history of this guy. He's just written or drawn, excuse me, a million comics for Marvel and DC since 1980. Um, pick a book, Avengers, Batman, Justice League. He, dude's all over the place. Uh, he did Micronauts and ROM, the original runs for Marvel way back in the day. Guy's a super talented artist. He's still uh, a great artist. You know, he's 60 years old now, still drawing comic books. So it was great to see him on this book. It's a nice match. Uh, this thing opens up in 1957 in New York City, and uh, it features this character, Ezra, who is leading this early band, band of all-black superheroes, the Crusade, and mm-hmm. they're just taking out mobsters, and it's totally excellent. There are all these new characters that have been invented for this comic, but they fit right into the secret history of kind of Marvel's Harlem, I mm-hmm. guess, as it were. Um and it flashes around uh, for a few years, flashes to the present. Ezra Keith, uh, the character that we start on, uh, has been arrested. He's a political activist, and he dies in police custody. So this kind of mirrors some kind of storylines we're hearing and sort of the sure. news today, the world we live in today. And Harlem is on edge. People are pissed. Yeah, the world we live in today, Marcus. I love hearing about it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we're at a tipping point. Uh, people want to know what happened to this guy and how he died. And um, Misty Knight is a detective in Harlem. We know her from her own comics, from Daughters of the Dragon, and from the TV show Luke Cage. Heroes for Hire. She's awesome. Uh, I think uh ta Coates writes the shit out of Misty Knight, and she kind of narrates this whole book. And her voice is excellent because she's a cop. So she's got all that stuff going on. She wants to solve this crime, but she's also a resident of Harlem. And so she's pulled in these two directions, and you can feel it while you're reading this book. I thought that's what made this book particularly special, is that her voice is uh, really important to the story because she has both of these perspectives. And I don't know if there's a lot of other characters that you could do that with other than Misty. Um, and ta Coach just... As far as her narrative goes and, and the way that she speaks, it makes the book have such a great depth. Um, and th- and that was what was just so amazing I about it to me. She has to toe the line because she is a cop. Right. So when people ask her about it, like, well, you know, 
just let's let's see what all the facts are. Let's mm-hmm. see. But in her mind, she's like, well, why didn't this happen? And what are right. they doing? And right. she, like, she has all of these doubts, but she doesn't express them to anyone around her because she is a cop and she has a job to do. And that part of it was very, very interesting. Yeah, the 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 tightrope between like cooler heads and like people yep. are hot, you know. So yep. uh, and she's getting hot. Yeah, exactly. It, it was just cool as hell. Uh, this squad is going to consist eventually of um, Manifold, who's a teleporter. He's been around the Marvel Universe for years. Uh, Black Panther is going to get in there. Luke Cage is uh, going to show up at some point. But this first issue focuses on Misty, and then we see uh, Storm show up. Uh, she well, I don't want to give too much away, but she shows up, and so we're not quite. We haven't formed the crew yet. Yeah, but they're getting together, and there's this great line at the end of the book. Um, Misty uh, and Ezra Keith, kind of this this guy who dies, who's kind of the the jump off for the whole story, have this history, and she says this great thing about like getting pulled into his crew from beyond the grave. He's still pulling the strings. Yeah, I was just into it. It's a police procedural. It's a what a mystery, a thriller. But it's a superhero comic. It's set in Harlem. It's an entirely black cast, mm-hmm. which is fucking dynamite. You just don't see that in comics, especially not a mainstream comic. Absolutely. Got a sweet robot fight in there. Oh, Misty's robotic arm just fucking people up. Did you think the robotic police was kind of a easy way to get a fight? How do you mean? Well, because we know that there's going to be a fight. Yeah. Right? And there's a like robotic police force, essentially. I see. And, we, we, you know... We don't want people to fight cops, but it's kind of part of the story that there's some stuff going on with the police, so we're just going to throw in robotic cops. I see what you're saying. And that way we can fight without ever yeah. having to show anyone that's punch not, an actual that's cop. That's not out of the question, because you know? it would have been pretty intense to yeah. have Misty Knight beat the shit out of a bunch of cops in the in the first issue. Right. Um, but that being said, it's a superhero comic, and she's right. probably going to smash a robot or something at some point. Um but yeah, I see what you're saying. That's not that's a fair complaint. Right. It's just we see there's a ton of tension with the police in this whole book. Yeah. But we have to fight something because it's a comic book. Right. So we have to insert something that's not an actual police officer. And that's a tough line to so walk. So that we can do it. It's a tor- it's it, very tough. And Coates is going is walking right up to it yep. and diving yep. right into it. And I think, you know, if anybody is is going to is going to handle it well, it's going to be that dude. And I don't think this book will be shy either, you guys. I no. mean, I think we're we're getting into it. First issue, I mean, you got protesters in Harlem face-to-face with cops, and the dialogue is, for my money, spot on, yeah. you know, for what what's happening in, in, in the world today. And I wouldn't be surprised if Coates flipped it on its head a little bit and it goes in a, and it, it zigs where you think it's going to zag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but well, I'm theorycrafting. I love it. I lo- I've influenced both of you so much. You really have. You're welcome. Thank you, buddy. This book was a joy. I'm, I'm just uh, so happy that um, Mr. Coates is, is hanging out in Comic Town yeah. and developing his chops. I mean, what a sweet uh, voice to add to the mix of uh, you know, what comics are and can be. So uh, that's my big pick of the week, Black Panther and the crew number one. Very good. Very good. Uh, I'm going to pick two books. Are you now? I'm calling an audible. God nice. darn it. do it. Try to stop me. Do it. I won't stop you. I, I pick... First, I pick American Barbarian. American Barbarian. By Tom Scioli. The Complete Collection. The Complete Collection. This is a second printing, I guess. This came out in 2012, though I did not read it in 2012. Did either of you? Negative. Not in this format. This is the second printing of The Complete? I didn't know that. How did you read it? There was smaller volumes. Oh. Yeah. And that's what I think I've seen around the old comic shack. Mm -hmm. So, American Barbarian is about... A young man named Merrick, which I just realized you can't spell American without Merrick, so that's pretty cool. Uh, He's one of seven brothers, and it is a family that's charged with protecting this monarchy and protecting this king and his family. For generations, this one family has protected this one line of kings, right? They're like their security force. And they just train. That's all they do. All they do is train and be really, really sweet at it. Yeah. And at some point you come of age and everyone has to draw out of this crazy tangle of swords. You, everybody pulls on it at once, this crazy tangle. And whichever one you draw, it's got like ancient runes on it and shit. And it tells you something about your fate or maybe like give you some superpowers or something. Yeah. This is something that happens to this family. That they, It's just something that they go through. And all seven brothers line up and they reach into the mass of swords and they all reach in to grab a sword. And Merrick comes away with the entire... Kit and caboodle. The whole tangle. Because he's a, he's a special boy. And he's the American barbarian. 
and I won't ruin much more of this amazing book. I had so much fun reading this. Uh, the bad guy is named Two Tank Omen. Yep. He is a giant sphinx with two tanks for feet. Yeah. And he rolls into town and he plunders all your treasure and he puts it on a scale and you got to put as many corpses on the scale to weigh out as much treasure as he found. Um, he's got rules. You he's know? got rules. He's got scruples. I loved American Barbarian. I think this is a good... So Tom Scioli did Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, which we talk about all the time. It's the best. Uh, Godland he worked on. I think Tom Scioli is great for folks like Marcus Schwimmer, who maybe Benjamin Mara takes a little too far with all the with all the penises. He certainly does. And the graphic sex acts. Yes. But he's referencing a, a specific type and a time in comics and a type of action and over-the-top shit that I think you do like. Very much so but are turned off by all the penises. Yes. And why is that? Why are you turned off by all the penises? Do you want to get into that right now? I mean, we can if you'd like. I just... We should table that. Let's table it for another time. Uh, But this is... I think this will meet you in the middle, and it's as over the top, but it is not quite as maybe, quote-unquote, profane. It's just got so much good shit in this comic book. It's If you like Star Wars, if you like Thundar... We were talking about this, I don't know, maybe a podcast two ago about his, his compressed storytelling. Yeah. He just gives you all the meat. He There's a page in this book where he's building the world that we live in, which is like a, what, a post, post, post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's just one page of like, this is what's happening in this world with little bubbles. And bam, you yeah, know the whole world in one page. Yeah, let me get that, actually. It's stunning. This Sphinx guy, the two-tank omen, the bad guy, so he looks like an Egyptian Sphinx, and he's like, whatever, you know, 20 feet tall, but he's like satanic. He's got 666 in his helmet. Um, and then he also, his the tanks that he has for feet are like World War II, like German yeah, tanks. Panzer, Panzerfaust. Yeah, it's hysterical. Um, it's just completely off its nut. There's there's Star Wars shit. I can't say enough things about this. Very He Man. Absolutely, yeah. dude loves He Man. Out of one panel, we'd learn about roving mutant armies, legions of the risen dead, renegade robots, wild herds of genetic supermen, roving citadels on wheels, science experiments run amok, swirling matter devouring black holes, reanimated dinosaurs, the sewer people of New 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 York, and then there's an ellipses. As if to indicate, there's a b- bunch of other shit. That's just a whiff world of and what you. And then already within this book, like I was only able to read half of it because it's a giant graphic novel. But yeah. like, we we get to meet a lot of that shit that he's spouting off about. It's outstanding. I highly recommend this. It's a ton of fun. And the foreword by Rob Liefeld. Tell me about it. Was great. It's incredible. You're full of shit. Whoever, Not even kidding. Whoever ghost wrote it for him did a really great <laughs> job. No, I swear to God, if Rob Liefeld really wrote that, Rob Liefeld, I owe you a huge apology. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. I was so, sh- I was more shocked reading this intro than I've been by anything in recent memory. It blew me away. Yeah. It's just a very thoughtful, nuanced look at why this book works and what's cool about it. And I agreed with the whole thing. I'm and like I agreed reading with and I'm all like, of it. you're spot on, Rob Liefeld. You have nailed this book. Yeah. Thank you, my dude. So that's American Barbarian from Tom Zioli and IDW. And I would also just very, very, very quickly mm-hmm. like to talk about God Shaper from oh, yeah. Simon Spurrier. Will you hand yeah. me that comic yeah. box? That's right. There. That was pretty dang cool. This is a number one this week from Simon Spurrier and newcomer Jonas Goonface. This is his first comic. Uh, For a first comic, I don't even understand that. Woo! The art is just out of sight. Get real. And Simon Spurrier, I have gushed about this dude for years. He's He did The Spire, hmm. which I love that comic book just so much. It's just so much. And this reminded me of The Spire more than a lot of other stuff that I've read from this dude because we, it's packed with these really big ideas and there's all these different like castes and like stratum of this crazy ass society and all these little code words and nicknames and it's it works really well. It feels really fleshed out. So the idea here is that in this universe... At one point, electricity completely stopped working. Nobody was able to use electricity, and everybody got a god. And so there's no technology at this there, point. There's no technology, mm-hmm. or technology was like severely stunted at one point. Mm-hmm. And around that same time, everybody got their own little personal god, a god for every person and a person for every god. And these gods are like 
how you manage your entire life. Like they have abilities and it's how they interact with each other is like the currency. So the gods giving each other strength is how you pay each other for different things. And then there are these godless people that are sometimes called god shapers and they're born one in every 10,000 people is a god shaper and they can reach into other people's gods and change them and change their abilities and like customize them for you and if that sounds crazy it's fucking crazy it's it's really really wild mm-hmm. and throw on top of that is like there's this whole underground movement of people that are really into basically like rock and roll and but it's music done without their gods like there's this whole culture of people that want to do things without using their gods at all, and they're kind of shunned and they exist on the the fringe of society. Yeah, uh, and this god shaper dude maybe has a is teamed up with a god that's lost his believer, but they're not like actually linked together. But they're not linked, and this god like if a god doesn't have a believer, if your believer dies, that god is supposed to just disappear because it right. And this it, one keeps hanging out. Yeah. How would you describe the art? Um. Because I love it, but I'm, I was certainly having a hard time comparing it to anything. Super vibrant, lots of purples, lots of pinks. Yep. Lots of green. Yeah, big colors. Um, and it's always, it's the images of people are right up against these very crazy, almost cartoony gods. And all the line work was very, very thin. Right. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I'm having a hard time finding another artist to kind of compare it to, though it is. Reminding me of some, I don't. I, I thought it was really great. I do too. I just, I, I think it's a testament to this book. Yeah, that people should check it out because I love the art, but I certainly can't compare it to anything, and that's pretty fresh. If we have to compare it to anything, maybe Ryan Brown a little bit and Curse Words, in that it's very, vi- maybe just in the colors, it's yeah. very, very vibrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is fantastic. It is. I am absolutely going to be all in for this entire book. Simon Spurrier does weird ass world building like nobody else in comics. I, I, I've never, this story idea is completely off the wall. It's so off the wall and it yeah. really shouldn't work. Nope. Like there's so much stuff going on and he's trying to balance so many things. It could fall apart at any moment and you have to buy all of it. You have to buy all the stupid little rules of this universe, but they all are kind of awesome and he packs them in so well. It, it took me to this whole this this whole comic to to get it. Yep. It really did, because there was like I was like I'm, I'm just, you I don't know, know. Cause it's so right. wild, it's so out there. But you get to the end, and you're like, okay, you're building a thing, you're setting some rules for this universe, yep. and it's making sense by the end of it. And he does, and he did the same thing in the Spire. He does in one issue what many writers would take an entire arc to kind of introduce. But he's so confident, and he does it. He's he's so eloquent with the way he pushes things forward. He's anti Warren Ellis. He's the anti Warren Ellis. He's my hero. <laughs> Hey, did you guys, we read, uh, you all read Big Rock Candy Mountain. That was your big pick last week, right? Yeah, yeah. it was great. Uh, this is like my second, I, this book felt hobo-y Oh, yeah, because the God Shaper is kind of a, he's on the move. Yeah. yeah. He's on the move. He's basically a hobo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's so basically he, a hobo. Like two hobo comics in two weeks. Huh. There you, you guys go. think it's okay to keep saying the word hobo? Does anybody take offense to that? I wonder. I don't know. I mean. They talk about hobo culture. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know if that's a is that if, if that's derogatory. I wonder. I yeah. I sh- maybe we shouldn't just bandy about the word. But <laughs> it's a very funny word, it's... and I think I feel like it applies to a, t- a type of person that like doesn't really exist anymore. But well, you're like right in my mind, you got like the stick with the bag. I know this sounds even worse. Now I'm elaborating, but you're you're hopping on trains. <laughs> yeah. Right? What else and about them? What else are they you all eat like? Beans out of cans. Yeah. <laughs> Right? It's the 1940s. Right? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. And they use like secret hobo code. And yeah. That is a real thing. And they carve things into trees and then you know like over here is where you can get some tuna fish. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the cops are cool yeah. or something. Well, anyway, that's uh that's Hobos. That's God Shaper number 1 and that's American Barbarian. Our other picks for this week were Rose from Is that Image Comics? It is. And Black Panther and the Crew from Marvel Comics. Marcus, your coffee cup has been teetering on the edge. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it is on an angle and sitting on your glasses, and it's making me just so nervous. I live dangerously. Oh, it's making my stomach hurt. Right, he's thank a, you. He's a Top Gun maverick. Oh, that's the nicest thing you've said to me in a while. Thanks, bro. Oh, that's very sweet. And them's our big pigs. <laughs> I 
I would like to empty out our listener question bag if we could. We just do just gonna dump it all over the. Hold on. Finally, a I just dumped it all out, and we're gonna just sift through this. And um, if you have a listener question, you can always send it to superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. And we could we we need your questions now because we're emptying out the bag today. This is it. This is it. You guys ready? Ready. Let's do this. Patrick asks, can you guys recommend any ways to easily sell or trade old comic books that I didn't like or otherwise feel unattached to so I can keep turning them into new comics? I love comics and would love to buy more of them. But they're so dang expensive. Hi, Patrick. Marcus here. <laughs> um, so there are a couple ways that you can turn your old comics into new comics. Tell me how. Well, there. The, so the first way is you can go to the comic shop which you purchase said comics and ask them if they would be interested in uh, store credit. And if the books that you're trying to get rid of are somewhat desirable, um, there's a good chance. Do you want people to do this at Vault of Midnight, though? People do it. And a lot of times we Are you encouraging more people to do this at Vault of Midnight, though? Yeah. We'll always look. We'll always look. We'll always look. look. All right. Well, because you think about it, like if you bought, not to break down the business side of it. If, break it down. If I've sold you that comic, I have already made my return on that book. Mm-hmm. So then if I give you store credit for that book, which you are going to spend at my establishment again anyways, I, I'm i not losing any capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a really nice way to get books that are gently read into the back issue section or if you know that book is no longer available and maybe you have one two and three in the series didn't didn't do it for you but i have the rest of that series so bringing them back to the comic shop yep is one way to do it and and you know if you're looking to sell a collection taking your books to a comic shop is not a bad choice you know there is a reality when you sell your books to a comic shop though is that that shop has to make money on the books that they're buying. How much should I expect to get back from the books that I sell to you? So the industry industry standard uh, for buying back issues, and Curtis and I have like looked into this mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit, is well, ar- I would hope so. around 30 to 35%. And that's, on a, that's for desirable books. Those are for books right. we're pretty comfy with. Like, hey, we're not going to sit on these for a year. We're going we're gonna to sell these comics. So right. a book costs $2.99. And you're gonna pay me what? A buck or less? Fifty cents to a buck, probably. Fifty yep. cents. Fifty cents to a buck. Okay, yeah. so so fifteen to thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if that book has appreciated in value, though, let's say that book you bought for three dollars currently sells for five bucks. Mm-hmm. There you go. Little little more. That's how though, percentages work. The percentage gets higher if the book right. costs Bang. a little bit more. Um, and the other option you really have is the internet. And while I normally dissuade people from putting their books on the internet because I've heard just a million horror stories about it, it's very time-consuming. Some tips I would give if you are going to sell your books online is take photos of your own books. So don't use, like, stock photographs um, for the books you're trying to sell. Your actual books. Your actual books. Mm -hmm. Um, When giving a description for the condition of the book, uh, please note that you are. This book is not professionally graded. Mm-hmm. That's an important thing. And if you want to get rid of a lot of books, there's something that's happening in online selling of books right now called grab bags, which is a really great way to get rid of chunks of your collection. So what you'll say is like, I'm putting out a 15 book grab bag. All these books are from the 1990s, early 2000s, and people will bid on them. And what that means is you're taking 15 books. The people who buy them don't know what they are. What? And then you'll just mail them the grab bag of 15 comics. People do this? Oh, totally. People would buy these? Oh, yeah. It's a a great way to offload a ton of comics. And you might say that, like, I have 10 grab bags, and in one of these grab bags is going to be a... Something sweet. Something sweet. Yeah. Yep. Savage Dragon. Savage Dragon number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really cool, and and that is a good way to get rid of some books, and it's mostly for people who are like just getting into comics, um, but grab bags are a great way to get rid of your stuff. My favorite way to sell comic books is to have an old-timey yard sale. In your yard? In your yard, set up a table, set up your things, make a sweet, sweet Ooh. poster, but what you should do before you do your yard sale, if you're even if you've done yard sales before- Mow your lawn. You should definitely tidy the yard, uh-huh. but you should uh, find a copy of Phyllis Diller's How to Make Money 
at a yard sale. What is this? It's what only, is happening right now? It's only available on VHS, uh, but you could probably find a rip of it on Phyllis YouTube. Phyllis Diller? Yeah, she did a great how-to um, yard sale can video. I, can I get some just some hot tips from, from uh, Fee Diller? She's going to lay it down. She's going to crack it off. She's but you gonna, don't remember any of the tips? Not off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Damn it. But I implore our listeners to Google Phyllis Diller's How to Yard Sale video. Okay. And and then, you know, get cracking. I will say, what it, what it comes down to in the end, when you're selling to a shop versus selling comics individually for yourself, the big question you have to ask is, how much time am I willing to put into this? So, yes, the comic shop is going to give you a little bit less time or a little bit less money. Um, but, but you don't have to deal with it. You that. don't have to deal with that. And so that's the big question. You've only got one trip around this big ball of mud. You might as well spend it with Phyllis Diller. That's right. Apparently, you don't even have one fucking tip from. I'm the, sorry, you, it's you been a while. Set us all up talking about Phyllis Diller for what? Not even one tip. Yard tip. What's your What's your favorite yard sale tip? Price from Curtis. Prices to move. All right, let's move on. I didn't mean to piss you off. I thought it was going to be hilarious. Seth asks, as readers, how do you view the Valiant Universe? No answer. <laughs> not Not often. <laughs> For me, oh, hey, 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 oh. For me, Matt Kent is an underread master of the craft and one of my favorite writers. But Valiant has always been a high hurdle for me to clear as a reader. I've given some of their books a shot, but seem to lose interest pretty quickly. I will say this about Valiant. They put out the nicest quality comic book out of anyone. Pulp-wise. Pulp-wise. Paper-wise. Cover-wise. Their binding. books feel the best they are made with the most quality. I will absolutely give them credit for that. Faint praise. <laughs> Good umami. I love Valiant Comics. They're just don't, it's another comic book universe. It's a connected universe, so it's scary. You almost have to not do a different one. So if you're going to do Valiant, you have to decide to stop Marvel or stop DC. You know, because uh, it, it's trying to compete in that league. It's trying to go. It's yeah. All these books work together. You do not have to read them all together. Just like you don't have to read all Marvel and DC, but. They're part of this big, huge tapestry. This is the thing is like I always st- I do the same thing, Seth. I always st- I start a Valiant book and I think, man, that was pretty cool. Yep, I had a really good time with that. Ooh, that was a loud yell. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's okay. Um, the I always start out thinking that I'm gonna stick with it. I just don't know if I have enough RAM in my head for a shared fucking superhero universe like another one, like. Marvel and DC take up a, a lot of space in my brain just trying to like remember all of the shit and that stuff that stuff drives me crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. So to add another one in with all the other picadillos of a shared comic universe. There's also something to be said about like all right. Hear go, you out. Go with me on this journey okay. for a second you guys. And it's cuz it's going to sound a little corny. But I think a lot of the reason we put up with superheroes is because of like the mythos of what are we have associated with those superheroes like i i put up with a lot of stuff because i just love superman right superman just like has a place in my heart and i will forgive a lot of stuff and i will try to remember a lot of stuff and i'll put and i you know and i will try to figure out what's going on with a very convoluted decades-long history because that character is larger than the character Absolutely, and you'll you'll pull in a comic you hate. You'll still get one like that was a neat little Superman thing there. I'll keep that and flush the rest. And, exactly, you know. And I will do that with Superman yep. because Superman is 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 bigger than most things, and Batman is bigger than most fictional things, right? Absolutely. And I just don't know. I it just it's tough for superheroes to compete with that that are not those th- those characters that are built into our minds and histories and in our hearts yeah it's hard because so i think valiant in a way knows that so they come up with these offbeat characters and the characters are solid and i'm not saying that they're not cool but yeah but at it, it, the same point it would be nice if maybe they did put a little bit of that familiarity into those characters like Bloodshot is a pretty extreme character. Mm-hmm. Ninjak is kind of goofy on basis, mm-hmm. but it would be nice if they would have, if they could make it a little bit more approachable than they do. Because to be honest, like their universe is, I don't believe very approachable. So they could kind of make it a little bit more consumable. It yeah. would, in what way is it not consumable? It, I mean, like it, I don't it, disagree. I if just... you're new to comics, 
Okay. Yes. Valiant comic yes. books do not look like what you are expecting. Right. Their characters are very different than Marvel and DC's kind of main lineup. They don't have a Spider-Man. And right. They're not, they're they not really... instantly iconic. Right. Is that what you mean? They're, they're not instantly a... iconic, but they also don't look anything like Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man, and that's fine. I get what they're doing, mm-hmm. but it is not approachable to a new readership because they are very different from what I think most people kind of view as a superhero comic book. Well, and it's that hand sell, right? You got to hand sell these books a lot of times. They don't have a presence outside of comic book stores. You know, there's so no folks movies. aren't necessarily coming in going, what? "Hey, what's yep. this?" you know. So. Although there's been talk of an Exo Manowar movie for like 4 or 5 years now. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like uh, with the dude from Black Mask Studios actually. Um uh oh. Pizzolo, he, yeah. they're they're trying to get an Exo Manowar movie going. Sorry to interrupt. No, I was going to say you could you could see that working. And 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 that's the bummer about Valiant, I think, because I think they're really solid. Yeah. And they put their heart and soul into it. They got great artists. And and I've read the first couple volumes of all of their flagship books, and they're totally readable. You know, Valiant, that one, that crossover they did, that was Matt Kent and um, help Dice me out. Heart, Joshua Dice. Yeah, man, uh, dude, what a killer book. Yeah. You know, uh, the art was insane. Uh, Exo is a lot of fun. The first issue of the new Exo series was was really good. The Venditti stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know what do you? But we say all this stuff, but then man, there's a, there's a lot of books out there vying for your time and money. I think it's worthy if you want to give Valiant a shot. It is worth a shot mm-hmm. if you're curious about these books. Definitely do it. Yep. I haven't read a bad one. So agreed. Yeah. And Matt Kent, Matt Kent's one of the best writers in comic books. So he's doing this Exo Manowar arc right now, and he's got it planned out over the course of the whole year. And it's a bunch of three-issue story arcs, and each one has a different artist. And Seth also asked, like, hey, does this kind of stuff work? Uh, They're trying to do things to attract new readers. Do you think that they work? I mean, I don't know. We've got some folks at the shop that are into Valiant. They hold a 1% market share. Uh, and they are pretty consistently, you know, they show up on that list, and a lot of publishers don't show up in the top ten list of, right. of, for market share. And Valiant's pretty consistently on there. So is that working? Is it not working? I don't know. Um, I wish that more people read it, but then I can't, you know, I don't read it. So right. I, it's hard for me to say. Yeah, and they've been around forever. That's the thing. They come and they go, and they've been bankrupt, and they've been rebought. But yeah. Valiant has been a present in presence in comic stores since 1990. Yeah. Didn't the dudes who recently bought it get it for, like, just a song? Yeah, and, and he's already had it. The, the current owner or owners have had it for, you know, going on 8, 10 years yeah. already. But, yeah. yeah. Speaking of Matt Kent, I have one last question I want to just plow through. Nate asks... Well, first he says, I love Matt Kent's comics. Department H and Mind Management is my jam! I have noticed and have seen some things on the internets about the connections between his books. Characters and events span seemingly unrelated books over different publishers. It seems as though he created a universe within his work that leaves threads that tie the books together. And I think that is super cool. I love looking for more clues to that universe while reading his stuff. My question is, are there any other comic creators that have done this? Uh, Maybe not, dude. Like, maybe not. I've, I've been racking my brain. Yeah, I looked into it last night, and there's just nothing like it. So I've read that Joe Hill tied lock and key to Wraith stuff a little bit. Wraith itself is a spinoff from a novel that he did, Nosferatu. Yes. Um, but if there's con- – I read all of Wraith, and I read all of Lock and Key, and I don't know what the connection is, if there is a connection. Um, yeah, I think they're maybe just on the same planet. Yes. Is, is, you know, as, as much as I could figure out with that one. So – Matt Kent, you know, I noticed he he has this like amazing spy trilogy of books, um, and I know that there's a lot of DNA shared between like Super Spy and Two Sisters specifically. If you haven't read those books, uh, if you haven't read Super Spy, if you haven't read Two Sisters, that is definitely all tied together, and I think it's totally tied into mind management. Also, uh, I I love Matt Kent, and that dude is. If anybody's gonna do it, Matt Kent's the guy to do it. Man, and those—it's weird uh, that those books tie together because they're years apart, they're maybe even a decade apart. And they're yeah, and they're yeah. very complicated. And there's a ton of shit going on. That's cool. Uh, if you dig this kind of thing, check out the prose writer David Mitchell. So David Mitchell, his most famous book is Cloud Atlas. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And slowly over time, he's got like seven or eight novels, prose novels, not comic books. And over time, it's become clear that they are all in the same universe and. 
the way he ties them together with these very very subtle cool little things it's i don't i can't think of anybody else in fiction that does it as well but each one is a complete standalone book um so if you dig that kind of thing check out david mitchell i came up with nothing else for comics though yep blank yep and i was googling like a fiend yeah i was racking my brain oh i just thought of one spider-man yeah no it's very undercover though you really gotta yeah you it's kind of you know I have been waiting because I'm reading Brian Wood's Black Road. Yes. And he also did a book for a different publisher called Northlanders. Yeah. And I am combing through that book as I read it, trying to see if he will drop just a nugget. I can see that. That Just a nugget that they are in the same universe. But so far, Brian Wood, I know you listen. Drop me that nugget. Yeah. Drop drop Mark is that nugget. Uh, Oh, there's another one from Nate. Should we do it? Yeah, let's do it. No, let's do it. Nate also asks. Well, first he states, again, Nate's a re- Nate states, I was listening to The Lady Skulls from last week. So this is from a few weeks ago when our podcast got taken over by a bunch of kick-ass ladies. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Certainly do. They mentioned that there is a list, or as they put it, a stack of books that are basically required reading for new hires at Vault of Midnight. I was wondering what that stack for books had in store. Is there a comprehensive list that you use for new hires? You can make one for people that are looking for the best of the best, according to the muckety mucks at Vault of Midnight. That's about right. Hey, thanks, Nate. Um, I think we're going to just post this list. Yeah. Um, we're going to link to it. It's going to be on superskullshow.com, and you can find it in the show notes. But, yeah, we have this giant list of stuff that we think everybody should read. Uh, what's, what's a highlight from here, Marcus? Um, so a big one for me, uh, when I first came in, the Marvel movies were really exploding, and Curtis was like, hey, you should definitely read The Ultimates. Um, this is where they are pulling a ton of the inspiration for the cinematic universe from. And I read it, and I realized that the bro in me kind of likes Mark Millar. Yeah. And I was not a, a big, I, was, I wasn't the biggest Mark Millar fan, but there's there's a part of me that just can't escape it. Um, and I really fell in love with that Ultimate series. I've been reading every book that dude has written since that book because of that book. Right. It's so, excellent. Yeah. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, there's a book on this list called The Wrenchies, which is something that due to the art style, I would have never thought to have picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird uh, story about some kids who live in a post-apocalyptic world, and they're reading books that's, that are about the Wrenchies, and they're the Wrenchies. It's, it's, it's weird and wonderful and delightful and really changed – was one of the early books to change my view – on kind of the single author illustrator graphic novel. You've been on such a journey with comic books. It's so awesome. I came in literally, yeah, it was like I read, what do you read? I read uh, Captain America. I read all of it. I read Captain America and Spider-Man. And Spider-Man, yeah. Now it now it's a whole new world. What's your favorite thing on this list? I mean, you don't have to be your favorite, but what's a what's something on this list, Curtis, that you forget about? Oh, looking at the well, my first one just to get it out of the way is All Star Superman. That's always uh, the the test. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read All Star Superman? And immediately, because Superman's tough, a lot of people love Superman, but then there is equally or even more people are like, I hate Superman and I will never read Superman because yeah. he's stupid. And that's the book I got. Oh, this will totally change your mind, and it works every single time. Um, but the book that I forget to recommend, and I wish I recommended more, is Essex County uh, yeah. from Jeff Lemire. It's Every time I read a book from Jeff Lemire, I'm in love with it. This guy has not let me down ever, but I always go back to that book. It might be my favorite Jeff Lemire book, period, over yep. Sweet Tooth, over any of it. The dude's body of work is immense, but that book will definitely put a tear in your eye and warm your heart. What a winner. How about you, Nicholas? I'm looking at this list, and I'm thinking I love Desolation Jones so much, and I always forget about that book. This is Warren Ellis, like... Wow, this is Planetary had not finished. This was like maybe right after Warren Ellis was just the hottest shit on the planet, like right when he's coming down off the crest of the wave. And it was a brand new series, and it's supposed to be this ongoing thing about a detective who does a bunch of drugs. And I guess I don't know how to describe that. Super spy ish. He's kind of super spy ish. It was J.H. Williams did the art for it. It's just phenomenal. It's like I, I think it's Warren Ellis at his I put it up I put it up there with any other Warren Ellis. I put it up there with Planetary. It's one of my favorite books by him. And it kind of just got abandoned uh midway through the second arc. But that first volume kicks so much ass. 
Yeah, no, I think you're right. This is between, yeah, like that two-year gap where he was like, we're not going to finish Planetary yep. for two years. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to put this whole list up. I don't care. There's a lot of bangers on it. A lot of heat. A lot of heat. That's not proprietary. Those are all just really good comic books. In fact, it makes me want to go back and rewrite that list because we haven't like really looked at it in a long time. Yeah, we've been talking about this a lot lately. There's new heat. Mm-hmm. The last couple of years has, has brought us... New must-reads. Absolutely. Yeah, the list has probably doubled in two years. Mm-hmm. Manifest is, Destiny Volume 1 should absolutely be absolutely. on that list. Yeah. Black uh, Monday Murders from John Hickman. Letter 44 Volume 1. Yeah. And, and so, on and on and on. And on and on. on. So mm. much stuff. Hey, that's the end. We, the mailbag's empty, y'all. You oh, could, finally. Please send us your questions at superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. We need your questions. I need it. Or else what are we gonna what are we gonna do? What are we gonna even talk about on the podcast? Hopefully kiss a lot. We'll just, have we'll to just kiss make a out lot more and you'll just have to listen to the audible sounds of that. That sounds wretched. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Annenberg District Library, where you're not allowed to run up and down the stairs anymore. No, because that is dangerous and loud. Please subscribe and download and review the Super Skull Show on the old iTunes. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Marcus Stairblocker Schwimmer. And I am Curtis Piledriver, my laptop from the top flight of the stairs, Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading until next week. diverse array of sunglasses we have mm. team, you know team shades you know you're going aviators though marcus which is i mean that in the co- as a compliment so very sta- top gun those are uh standard issue right thank you yep for thank, for g g gis thank you for those sunglasses curtis that's taxpayer money nice fuck <laughs> <laughs> shit it's a good thing i don't pay taxes I mean, he's just kidding. kidding. He does. He does pay taxes. He's kidding.